Good morning, City Light. My name is Eric. I get the pleasure of being one of the pastors here. Uh, did you have a good 4th of July? Yeah, all right. Maybe some. I did. My family did. We got to go up to uh, the parade in Underwood where they throw out candy and beef jerky. So you know you're going to head up there. Uh, we had a good time, and then that night we uh, lit off a few small fireworks in our backyard because we are those neighbors, okay? Uh, you guys have a favorite firework, a favorite kind of firework? I was talking to my kiddos about this. My five-year-old said he likes the ones that uh, shoot up the thing that launches out a, a parachute that he gets to chase down and catch. My daughter said she likes the fountains that uh, spray out because they're colorful and pretty and not too loud, okay? My favorite, though, are the ones that boom, you know? The ones that aren't meant to be seen, they're meant to be felt. Where if you're outside, you just feel them in your chest, and if you're inside, the windows rattle a little bit. Those are my favorite. Well, this month, we're going to be going through the book of Proverbs in the Bible, It is a fun book, and just like there are all kinds of different fireworks, we're going to see different kinds of proverbs as we read this book together this month. The first nine chapters are mostly poems, and they encourage us to pursue wisdom, and they warn us against pursuing other things. The last two chapters are wisdom writings that just record the thoughts and sayings of a couple wise men, and there's a description of an amazing wise woman. And then the middle 20 chapters are filled with Proverbs. Proverbs are these short, tweetable sayings that are packed with meaning. Most of them have two lines, or they make two statements, and often those statements contrast, sometimes they compare, sometimes uh, the second builds on the first, but that contrast, that relationship is meant to reveal a broader truth. That broader truth is wisdom. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, the words wise and wisdom are used over 100 times. And the word most often used uh, or translated wisdom doesn't simply mean knowledge. It means knowledge with application. It means truth with power. It means understanding with purpose. All right, let me give you an example. Uh, If you walked outside in the rain, knowledge would tell you it is raining, so I'm getting wet. Right? Knowledge helps you uh, assess the situation and discern the facts. Wisdom, though, is a little different. It goes a step further. Wisdom in the same situation would step out. It would incorporate knowledge. Man, it's raining, so I'm getting wet. And then it puts that knowledge to use. It says, so I should get my umbrella, right? So I don't get wet anymore. It goes beyond just understanding the facts, it's facts put to use. So maybe the most helpful definition of wisdom that I found as I was studying comes from the ESV study Bible. It describes wisdom like this. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. And I love that. Skill in the art of godly living. So these proverbs are meant to make us 
wise, by building into us knowledge and truth and understanding so that or for the purpose of developing in us the skills to live life the way God intended it. Now, I don't know about you, but that comes as really good news to me because sometimes I don't feel all that skilled at doing life, right? Oftentimes, I have more questions than answers. I have more weaknesses than strength. I have more confusion than direction. If you can relate to that at all, then Proverbs is the book for you, okay? This morning, I want to take you to one of my very favorite Proverbs, if you're reading along with us, we got some bookmarks that have a reading plan. I should have had one up here with me. If you're reading along with us uh, through the bookmark plan, you will catch this proverb on Saturday. It's in Proverbs chapter 14. But before we dive in, I want to set the stage with a little story, okay? When I was about 12 years old, I got to go on a fishing trip with my grandpa. Now, my grandpa had a lodge somewhere near, I think, the border between North and South Dakota, uh, he had a truck and a boat. He had all kinds of rods and reels and line and tackle. And in my young mind, he was the epitome of a fisherman. And so I was super excited to go. We loaded up in the truck and we stopped at the grocery store on the way out of town because there were no stores anywhere near the lodge. And so as we were getting groceries, he said, we're going to get uh, uh, supplies for breakfasts and for light lunches on the boat, but for supper, we will only eat what we catch. And man... As a young man, I thought, that is awesome. That just sounds super manly, right? I got to catch my supper. And I had all these visions of catching huge fish after huge fish. And I was going to eat like a king on this trip, right? Uh, that kind of changed a little bit when we got out on the boat, okay? Because when I had these dreams of eating fish like a seal at the zoo, you know, I didn't have any idea of what it took to get that fish out of the lake and onto my plate, I learned that when I got up there. It starts when you drive a hook through a living worm. Now, I'd done that before. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I felt for that worm as I got his guts and slime on my fingers, right? And then I'd throw that worm, cast it out into the lake, and when uh, I got a fish and reeled it in, I realized those fish swallow those worms with the hook, and I got to get that thing out of there. So I had to squeeze a flopping fish, hold it still, and put pliers down its throat to dig that hook out. And I can still remember the sounds of tissue tearing and popping as I got that thing out. I didn't realize how much of a city kid I was <laughs> until I got on that boat. And then at the end of the day, we came into shore. My grandpa said, grab your soon-to-be dinner. And we went to this table where he said, Eric, you're going to clean your fish and he's, <laughs> he hands me this big knife, and he says, you're not going to want to eat either end, so cut those off. And so I started with that. He said, you don't want to eat the scales either, so you're going to have to pull that off. And so I did that. And then he said, you don't want to eat the bones in the middle, so you've got to slice those fillets right off. And uh, I realized that cleaning a fish made me really dirty. You don't get a fish from the lake to the table without getting a little messy. I uh, had these dreams of eating like a king, but on the path to get there, I felt a whole lot more like a coroner. You know what I mean? And the whole process just tried to ruin any appetite that I had for supper. I realized that to get the meal, you had to get messy. Now, I didn't like the mess, but I loved the meal. 
My grandpa, he knew his way around a skillet, and supper at the lodge was amazing. I'm not talking about hy fish sticks and tartar sauce. I'm talking about fresh-caught, cold-water walleye cooked to perfection. Right? Dinner was worth the disgust. And that is the point. That's the idea that we're going to see in Proverbs 14, verse 4. All right, we're going to move from the lodge to the farm before we read this verse again. All right, so go to the farm with me. Imagine you are a farmer. Now, as a farmer, you've got a manger. A manger, usually we talk about at Christmas time, but it's here in Proverbs as well. A manger is the feeding trough that your oxen would eat from. It's the stall that they would sleep in. In today's world, we would call a collection of mangers a barn, right? So imagine this. You're a farmer, and you've got a barn, and you're proud of that barn. That barn means something to you. But you don't just have a barn, you also have some land. And that land is good land. It gets sunshine and water. And if you plant seeds there, those seeds grow. And so we're a bunch of farmers with barns and land. Are you tracking with me? Now, as farmers, we read Proverbs 14, verse 4, that says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Man, if you read just the first line... A clean barn sounds great, doesn't it? You've worked hard for that barn. You spend a lot of time in it. That barn is your pride and joy. Why wouldn't you want to keep it clean? In fact, you might get so focused on that barn that you would say, the goal of my farm is to keep that barn clean. I've made an investment in that barn, and if it gets messy, it takes a lot of work to clean that thing up again. And if you get the wrong kind of mess in the wrong place, it could even destroy parts of my barn. So we got to keep this barn clean to protect the investment, to ensure that it's a nice place to be, to protect my pride. So how do we keep our barns clean? we got to get rid of those mess-making oxen, right? They're the ones that work and sweat. They're the ones that breathe and snot. They're the ones that eat and poop. They're gross, and they make the barn gross too. Man, if the messes are bad, then the mess-makers are bad. Your oxen become your enemy. we got to get rid of those things. Where there are no oxen, the manger, the barn is clean. They're the problem. And if we take it too far, if we read only the first line, then we might begin to believe that the oxen aren't worth the odor, right? Messy is bad. Messy is stressful. Clean is good. Clean is peaceful. The goal is avoid the mess. Keep the barn clean. I think this temptation to make a clean barn your goal doesn't just happen on the farm. The temptation to make a clean temptation, your goal, doesn't just happen on the farm, right? Have you ever felt that temptation? I was on Facebook a long time ago. I'm not very good on Facebook, uh, but I was on it a while ago, and I saw a picture that looked something like this. The one that I saw said, mom's pick two, and there were three options. Uh, So the options would go something like this. Uh, If you want a clean house and sanity in your life, you're going to be after your kids all the time, right? If you want a clean house and happy kids, 
you're going to go crazy trying to do it all. And if you want happy kids and some sanity, then your house is probably never going to be as clean as you want it to be. Right? Do you feel that tension? The struggle is real. Is this just me? You guys tracking? The struggle is real. I think we feel it. It's not just on the farm, and it's not just moms with kids at home. The temptation to make a clean life your goal goes beyond that. I think for some people, you feel it every time you clock in at work, right? Does your job ever just feel like a mess? Think, man, my life would be cleaner if I had a better job or a better boss or better coworkers. For other people, it's not when you clock in at work during the day, it's when you get home at night. Does your marriage ever feel like a mess? You scroll through your phone and you see picture after picture of what looks like everybody else having a beautiful, stress-free, spotless relationship, but yours feels so messed up that you've almost lost all hope. You might even begin to think, man, it'd be cleaner to just end it. You see what happens when we make a clean life our goal. The mess and the mess makers become the enemy. And so if we just read the first line of Proverbs 14.4, what do we do? Do we get rid of our kids, quit our jobs, and end our marriages? (laughs) That would not be good advice from a pastor on a Sunday morning, right? That is not wise. That's not good. And so it's good news that Proverbs 14.4 has two lines, right? It's good news that it keeps going. So let's read the whole thing. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Man, you see what the writer of Proverbs is telling us? A clean barn was never meant to be the goal. If you get rid of your oxen, sure, your barn may be clean, but it's going to be empty too. You get rid of the oxen, the feeding trough and the stall, the mangers are going to be clean and empty. But the storehouse and the corn crib and the grain bin, they will all be empty too. The purpose of the farm was never to have a clean barn. The purpose of the farm is to bring in a harvest It's to plant small seeds that grow big stalks with lots of grain to bring in. The barn was never supposed to be a clean place. It was supposed to be a full place, a place filled with the harvest and the animals that brought it in. Man, the oxen, they were amazing in these days. The farmers oftentimes would ride them out into the fields carrying all their equipment. And so the ox was the first farm truck. Then those same oxen would pull the wagons and pull the plows. And so an ox was also the first farm tractor. And then those same oxen would tread out the grain and the harvest. And so the ox was the first combine. Man, if you had the, strength, uh, the great strength of the ox working by your side, that meant you would have a great harvest filling your barn. Man, this is the same The same idea that I learned with my grandpa at the lodge. The dinner is worth the disgust. The harvest is worth the headache. The yield is worth the yuck. The crops are worth the crap. Can I say that in church? I just did. I don't know. (laughs) You can talk to me afterwards. I'll see how it goes. (laughs) I love this proverb. 
Because it reminds me that the harvest is worth the mess. All right, that's my big idea today. The harvest is worth the mess. Man, if the, if the mess is required for the harvest, then the goal isn't to keep our eyes on how clean the barn is. The goal is to keep our eyes on the harvest out in the fields. Are you with me? The, if we can change that perspective, if we can move the focus of our eyes, then the mess isn't a failure, it's part of the deal. The mess makers aren't our problem, they are our partners. Proverbs 14.4 changes our perspective. So, parents, if the goal of parenting isn't to have an immaculate house, but instead it's to raise a harvest of children who know and love Jesus, who, whose hearts are after the Lord, that changes perspective, doesn't it? then their messes aren't deal breakers. They're just part of the deal. Proverbs 19, 18 says this. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? I just love Proverbs goes straight to your worst day and speaks right into it, right? Don't set your heart on putting him to death. I think that's just an extreme way to say that your kids aren't the enemy. Their messes aren't the enemy, so don't wish away your kids with the mess. Your kids may create all the messes that you have to clean up, but they are also the prize that is worth all the effort. The harvest is worth the mess. Man, employees, what if the purpose of having a job isn't stress-free days and easy, carefree environments? But rather, the purpose of a job is to provide for yourself and those who are under your care. I mean, if that's true, it changes perspective, doesn't it? Your job might feel like cleaning up poop in the barn all day long. But man, if it's giving you a paycheck that gets you food to eat and a place to sleep, it's worth it. The harvest is worth the mess. And spouses, what if the purpose of marriage isn't to have an enviable Instagram feed, but instead, it's to day by day become one. Man, that changes perspective, doesn't it? That means we certainly celebrate all the Kodak moments, but we also engage in the mess. We're quick to forgive when we hurt each other. Husbands, you're quick to lovingly sacrifice when your wife needs you. Wives, you continue to respect your husband even when he messes up. Engaging in the mess brings a harvest of intimacy, and it points a watching world to the redemptive, faithful love of Jesus. Man, the harvest is worth the mess, amen? I love Proverbs because they're just practical wisdom for everyday life, practical wisdom for you and me. I think it's also, though, practical wisdom for the life of our church. Can I just share this with you? This proverb particularly has encouraged me a lot as I've prayed for our church over the last several months. Um, City Light Council Bluffs is not even two years old yet. But from the very beginning, we've prayed earnestly that God would use us, our little church, to multiply disciples and churches that love Jesus. And he has answered that prayer in ways that I never would have dreamed that he would. And if I'm honest with you, sometimes it feels like a mess it feels like I, we're just trying to clean things up all the time. 
Let me, let me give you a rundown of how I've been praying into this, how this has been encouraging me lately. First, uh, we hired Chuck Kaiser to be our city group's pastor here. And we did that because Chuck's just an awesome guy with a heart to multiply city groups into every neighborhood, every nook and cranny of this city and region. That's a fantastic passion and goal. It's right in line. It means we've been praying for, but can I be honest with you, it sometimes gets messy. It means there are uh, new city groups with new people, with new problems, in new homes, with new leaders, and sometimes that looks like a mess. And as we're multiplying city groups, we're also multiplying churches. Just this last Monday, I got to go down to the uh, prayer night and interest meeting in Kansas City. And can I just tell you, God is doing amazing things down there. They have such a fun core team. Uh, I'll tell you just one story. Uh, I met a guy uh, who had bought a moped online from a stranger uh, just days before this prayer meeting. And so when he went to pay for it and pick it up, he tells the guy, uh, the seller, hey, this new church plant that I'm kind of connected with is having a prayer night tonight. You want to come? And you know what happened? The guy said, sure. And he showed up. That kind of ask only happens when there's a new church plant with people who are desperate to say, we want to see a new move of God in our city, in our neighborhood, in this group. And so I will ask anybody, no matter how ridiculous it sounds, right? It's amazing. God is building his church in Kansas City. It's awesome. So we're planting down there, but why stop at Kansas City, right? Tomorrow night, uh, Monday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting in Emerson, Iowa. It's at 6.30. Would you come with us if you can? Pray with us. If you can't come, then pray with us from home, okay? We need you to do that. It's going to be the very first gathering of our new church plant, City Light Southwest Iowa. And we need your prayers because we believe that God doesn't just love people in the city. Right? He loves everybody in the city or the country. And so we're praying that this new church plant in small town, rural Emerson would reach hundreds of people for Jesus Christ, take ground in their hearts and homes all across southwest Iowa. We're praying that it would be a spark of rural church planting that spreads across southwest Iowa and beyond. We need your prayers. We're planting in Emerson. And man, if planting in a big city like Kansas City and a small town like Emerson isn't messy enough, why not throw Africa into the mix, right? So last last Monday, we were in Kansas City. Tomorrow, we're in Emerson. A week from tomorrow, Chuck and I are going to be in Kigali, Rwanda, leading a church planters workshop. We raised, you guys gave funds for us to go do this last Christmas, and we started this thing because we got an opportunity to plant a church there um, maybe next year. And so we got to have guys that will lead that thing, that are called to plant. And so we prayed, God, would you bring 20 people to this church planting workshop? And now it's looking like we're going to have between 30 and 50 people show up. This is amazing. God is on the move. It is so incredible to watch him moving from our little church, isn't it? And can I just confess As we dig into all of these things, as God opens all of these doors, I just have this tension in my heart. On the one hand, I get so excited because God is is moving in new neighborhoods to reach new people right here in Council Bluffs. 
He's moving to reach small towns and big cities. He's moving to plant churches in places near to us and places far from us. God is on the move and we get to be part of it. Man, that gets me excited. But on the other hand, man, it just feels like a mess. I have all kinds of questions. Questions like, and isn't planting a church in a tiny rural community like Emerson really different from planting a church in a huge metro city like Kansas City? And aren't both of those just radically, vastly different from planting a church in Africa? Do we even know what we're doing? We just got started on this thing. <laughs> Do we know what we're doing? Are we keep... Uh, Man, I just, <laughs> are we doing too much? You see, my problems, are we doing too much? Wouldn't it be cleaner if we stick to what we know? Are we going too fast? Wouldn't it be cleaner if we only did one thing at a time? Wouldn't it be cleaner if we played it safe? Wouldn't it be cleaner if we just took less risk? Wouldn't it be cleaner if we just stopped making so many messes? I, I don't know about you, but if you ever feel that tension in your heart, if you ever wrestle between that excitement and those questions, I just want you to know, so do I. And it's in those moments that I have to remember Proverbs 14.4 that says, oh man, Eric, a clean barn was never the goal. Abundant harvest comes by the strength of the dirty, sweaty, messy ox. See, like, the church was never meant to be a clean and empty barn. It's supposed to be a place that's filled with the harvest. And so here at City Light, I want to make you a promise. We will always choose an abundant harvest with a mess over a clean and empty church. Can I say it one more time? Here at City Light, I want to make you a promise that we will always choose an abundant harvest with a mess over a clean and empty church. And I just wanted this morning encourage you guys in two ways, okay? First, I want to thank you. I want to praise you for being a people that just embrace the mess. You've already built that into the fabric of our DNA. I'll give you a couple examples. One, we have over 100 kids join us every Sunday morning, and we have to check them in just down the hallway down here, and we use the cheapest check-in system that money can buy, okay? And so last week, when you were trying to check your kids in, that software just didn't work. It just outright quit. And you know what you guys did? You just rolled with the punches. All right, yeah, write us a ticket. We'll take a written one instead of a printed one. We'll take a little more time. That's okay. You guys showed incredible grace, bearing with the volunteers back there, sharing the stress, and just trusting. Man, even when the software doesn't work, they know what's up. Can I tell you the benefit of that kind of grace? It means we get to freely give more money to church plants. We get to freely give more money to mission because we don't have to spend so much on software subscriptions. The harvest is worth the mess. You guys are living it out. Let me give you one more example. Several months back, 
There were three awesome couples in our church uh, that decided, man, we're going to start a new city group. It was Arnie and Peg, Chad and Becky, Steve and Linda. Uh, They got excited. We're going to start this new thing. It's going to be awesome. They were praying that God would move and it would grow. And you know what happened? It didn't at all. It was just their three couples for like months. And I remember in that season having conversations with each of them. And they were wondering, what happened here? How did we mess this up? What are we doing wrong? And you know what they decided to do? We're just going to keep praying and we're going to keep inviting. We're going to trust that even though it feels like we've messed all this up, we're going to trust that God is still on the move. The harvest is worth the mess. And you know what happened? After a few months of them just meeting those six, that city group grew. It like boomed and flourished. Now it's two city groups and both of them are booming and flourishing. And that's a story that's been written over and over and over. People say, man, sometimes city groups, sometimes finding a family to belong to just feels like a mess. And you guys have responded by saying, you know what? We're just going to endure. We're going to trust. We're going to embrace the mess. Worth the mess. The harvest is worth it. See, like, the harvest is worth the mess. And I just want to encourage you this morning by thanking you. Thank you for embracing the mess with us. We don't have it all figured out, and I'll promise you this, we never will. But we will always choose an abundant harvest with a mess over a clean and empty church. Okay, uh, second encouragement today. Um, I want to encourage you, would you keep your eyes on the harvest? I think it's easy to get our eyes caught up in the messes inside the barn. And I want to ask you today, would you keep your eyes lifted up and set them on the harvest field? Maybe even do this with me right now. Would you set your eyes on the harvest field? Look at the places that God has sent you and planted you, the place that you live and work and play. Set your eyes on the harvest field. Who do you see? Pick a name. Pick a face. Is it a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a teammate, a classmate, somebody in your family? Set your eyes on the harvest field right now. Who do you see? Find that name and find that place. Would you commit with me today? Let's pray for those people this week. Would you enter into their mess and invite them into ours? Jesus himself said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers into the harvest. Jesus himself said there's a harvest that's ripe and ready to be brought into the house. And we are supposed to pray that laborers would go out to bring it in. We're praying for people right here in these seats. We're praying that we would not be comfortable in a clean and empty church, but we would be sweaty, stinky oxen that are doing the work to go into the harvest, to bring it into the storehouse. Oh, City Light, would you keep your eyes off the messes in the barn and set them on the harvest field? City Light, let's keep our eyes on the harvest. Man, I love Proverbs. Because in them we see practical wisdom for everyday life, and we see the gospel. We see practical wisdom for our daily lives and the life of our church, and we see the gospel. 
We see the practical wisdom says the harvest is worth the mess in your life, in your job, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, on and on and on. And it's, it's, the harvest is worth the mess in our church, too. And the gospel, the good news in the life, gospel tells us we can believe that's true because we see the same thing in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus talks about the harvest, he's not talking about grain. He's talking about people like you and me. He's talking about men and women who are so caught in the mess of sin, they can find no way out on their own. Jesus knew that bringing in a harvest like that was a dirty job. And he could have stayed clean in heaven where he lived, but he decided to get dirty. He decided, I'm going to get my, uh, uh, I'm going to get dirty. I, Jesus could have kept his feet clean by never walking on the dusty roads of men. Jesus could have kept his reputation clean by never engaging with the sick and the poor and the outcast. Jesus could have kept his hands clean by never hanging on the cross. But we see over and over and over again in the life of Jesus that he had no concern to keep his hands or his feet or his reputation clean. Jesus stepped out of paradise in heaven to enter into our dirty mess of sin. Jesus got his body dirty by walking on dirty roads, by doing dirty jobs, and by hanging out with dirty people. And that messed up his relationships too. It messed up his uh, uh, reputation too. You got to believe, if Jesus would have walked this earth right now in our time, some judgy religious dude would have snapped an unflattering picture of Jesus while he's enjoying Qdoba, right? This would have been mid-bite in an oversized burrito, guac in his beard as he's sitting between a prostitute on one side and a thief on the other, people that he called friends. And that judgy religious guy would have that thing on Twitter, hashtag drunkard, hashtag glutton, hashtag friend of sinners, right? Those are all the accusations that were made, those are all real accusations that were made against Jesus in his day. And only one of them was accurate. He was not a drunkard, he was not a glutton, but he was a friend of sinners. Because he entered into the mess of our sin. Jesus got dirty, his body, his reputation, and he just kept going. Jesus went to the cross to take on the mess of your sin and for mine. Our nails in his hands and feet. Our cries from his throat. Our last breath from his lungs. Jesus died on that cross for your sins and for mine. But the good news of the gospel tells us that that mess was not the end. That cross was not the end. His death was not the end. Like a farmer with an ox whose barn is a mess all season long, a harvest awaits at the end of the season. And at the end of Jesus' life, there was and is a harvest. Jesus died on that cross, but he rose to new life. He rose to bring in a harvest. His death to life power secures a life after death promise that he offers to all who believe in him. That is good news, City Light. Jesus entered the mess of our sins so that he could bring in an abundant harvest of men and women like you and me. 
of people like you and me that live in Council Bluffs and Omaha, people that live in the country around Emerson and in the city of Kansas City, people that live in the United States and people that live in Africa, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. City like when Jesus took his eyes off the mess of the barn and set them on the harvest field, he saw you and me. But he saw more than just you and me. And that means the good news of the gospel is not meant to stay in a clean, comfortable building like this. It's meant to go out into the dirty, messy harvest field so that people out there who don't know the love of Jesus might learn of it, love it, and join us in here. Amen? The mission may be messy, but the harvest is worth the mess. Let's pray. Oh, great and awesome God, you are good. And man, I just, I got to confess, I feel like my life has so many messes in it. God, I just, uh, I just got to believe I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who looks at, at their life and sees a mess and longs just for it to be cleaned up. We're just tempted by those voices in our head that said, if you cleaned up your mess, then life would be better. And that's just a lie. The Bible tells us that the goal is not for us to clean up our lives so that we will be worthy of you, so that we will be accepted by you. The goal is to look to the one, the only one, who took on our mess, who bore it so we don't have to. We can't get rid of it on our own. Only he can. Only he does. He looked beyond our mess and saw a harvest in our soul. Man, God, for people who've never known that, for people who've looked at themselves and only seen a mess that could never be cleaned up, oh, Jesus, would you show them today what you see in them? Would you call them to yourself? God, the the harvest is meant to enter the storehouse. Would you call them out of the fields into your home, into your family? With their mess, bring it in. You'll take it on. God, I thank you for a church family that's never shied away from engaging the mess. God, I pray for people who have done that and grown tired. For people who start asking questions like I did, man, wouldn't it be cleaner if we just stopped making messes? God, would you encourage them today? The harvest is worth the mess. Send them out. God, set our hearts on mission. Never let us be comfortable sitting in a clean, ever more empty building. Make us dirty, sweaty, messy oxen. Eyes are set on doing the work to bring in the harvest. Jesus, we need you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.